Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. This is our attempt to speak the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. We believe every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Let's jump in. All right, well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Welcome. We're glad you're joining us. Today is the episode. This is the episode? We talk about sex. Oh, yeah. You've been waiting for that for some time? Let's talk about sex, baby. I mean, you are a youth pastor. Let's talk about you and me. You you and me? Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things. That may be. That may be in the book of Leviticus. That may be in the book of Leviticus. Also in Pitch Perfect. It's a great moment in Pitch Perfect. The first one, the rap battle. Oh, like under the bridge or something. Yeah, I remember that. It was very farcical. Very, yeah. <laughs> were you gonna say fart sickle? You <laughs> were. were you to. were. I was not. You were. That's something that David Bowden says. That is not. No, that's some. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so Leviticus seventeen, David. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Is the continuation of the book of Leviticus from Leviticus sixteen. Wow, that is insightful. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. So um, we have had uh, basically the table of contents at the beginning mm-hmm. of here's all the different sacrifices that one could make at the tabernacle. And they were kind of category sacrifices mm-hmm. that were used throughout the book for different reasons throughout for throughout your life <laughs> as a person in Israel. Right. And then there was the um the kind of like the foot uh, uh, the footnotes of the sacrifices. It's just like which is like the priestly manual for right. how to do each of these sacrifices if you're the administrator of them as yep. the priest. And then you have the consecration of Aaron and his sons. Yep. And that doesn't go so well afterwards for no, his sons. It does not. Yep. And then we have the lead up into the Day of Atonement, which we right. talked about last two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, because last week we spent a good hour talking about... What is the law? Why does it exist? Why do we yeah. follow some and not all of them today? Yep. So like, what does the Old Testament law mean for us today? Is it still binding? Is it not? Are certain ones... And, are, why, yeah. and why and how does that work? And yes. how should we be reading so, it? So if you have not listened to that podcast... Stop the recording right now. Push pause. Go back to the library. It will be really helpful. Like and, honestly, yeah, like seriously, and go listen to the uh, episode we did on um, should we obey the Old Testament laws because um, it's going to be way helpful because we just don't have the time to lay that groundwork again today uh, and walk through the text. So it's going to be super important uh, that you kind of have that framework. It was helpful for me. I think it was. It, yep. was, it was good. So anyway, so now we get into. Um, some laws, and for the first time, we we turn um, we turn the page, and and like other than the first chapter, which is which has to do in chapter seventeen, which right, has right. to do with um, killing animals. Yeah. Once we get to eighteen, it's like the first time that we really have private morality and private religion talked about in Leviticus. So far, everything's been very public. It's all about like it's been the, the, yeah. the feast, this well not the feast, but yeah, this but the, big the, atonement festival. That's right. You have yeah. the sacrifice all these sacrifices. System. It's all things done out in public. Like yeah. you know, it's like if you if you were to do like a really crude uh modern equivalent, you'd be like, you know, one to seventeen is about what you do at church. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. eighteen and on—not not all of it, but you know, eighteen and, and through twenty-one or whatever—is like how you act at home, right, right? And so we're about to go home and yeah. see, like, yeah, great, you made your sacrifices at the tabernacle, but how do you act on Monday morning? You know, yeah, Charles Stanley's coming to your house. Who's Charles Stanley? Oh, Andy Stanley. Sorry, Andy. <laughs> St- who is Charles Stanley? I don't know. But anyway, and so, um, but first, before we get into the home. Yeah. Chapter 17 is still kind of bridging the gap between sacrifice and home, right. tabernacle and home. And we talked about this a couple of times, but it offers us a parallel to what happened back at the golden calf. So God shows, uh, reveals his covenant at Mount Sinai. Right. And as he comes down off the mountain, uh, Aaron, the priest, has created a golden calf and he's worshiping God falsely. Um, and then the covenant has to be reestablished at that point. So right after we have the Day of Atonement, where God's covenant is being ratified and forgiveness is being offered to his people, they come out of the tent and they realize the people are sinning just like Aaron did by sacrificing mm. to goat demons right. out in the uh, wilderness. wilderness. Yeah. And we talked a lot about how there's a price and pretty heavy parallels between the goat of Azazel. So all the 
sacrifices were supposed to take place at the tent of meeting, except for one right. where the goat of Zazel was let off into the wilderness. Yep. But apparently a lot of the people started kind of trying to take, trying to make the sacrifice a little bit easier on themselves. Instead yep. of taking it to the, to the tent of meeting, they would just go out into the wilderness themselves and sacrifice to the goat demons. Yep. Or so, to any other god. Any, or other, any god. other demon. Well, it's yeah. mentioned goat demons right. here in yep. 7. But anyway, yep. yes. So that's the point. So I think what you're supposed to see is that even though God is being faithful to reveal his presence, even though God is faithful to give the, to be in covenant relationship with his people, even though he is forgiving his people, the people are still deciding to go their own way and there needs to be laws right. that kind of correct them. And right. these are those laws. Yeah, right and here. so the laws are basically that no domestic animals are to be killed anywhere except the tabernacle. Yeah. Uh, no sacrifices are to be made anywhere except the tabernacle. Uh, but you could hunt wild game right. outside of the tabernacle. Right, which is the same thing. So those are the, kind of the broad categories yeah. of what's in 17. Yes. Okay. And the only other thing that's important about 17 is a law against eating blood. That's the big one. That's right. The, that's the big one is they take great pangs to make sure that you know that you are not to eat any blood or to eat any animal that still has its blood in it. And it says this in verse 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Right. And so we might like zoom back for a second and go, why all these sacrifices? We've talked about offerings for a long time. We, we answered this question way back at the introduction to the whole book of Leviticus and our first podcast on Leviticus. Right. Um, but now it's, it, we kind of get to the crux of the matter. Why all this why all this like why all these animals? Why all this blood? <laughs> and and here is our answer. And it's twofold, right? First, it's well, be, well blood is important and it's sacred. It's set apart because the life mm-hmm. is in the blood. It's a symbol of life, right? It's like you take the blood out of an animal and it stops living. <laughs> so it's like right. It's very clear that life is in the blood. And this also right. goes back to um, uh, what is it? Genesis nine or with with after the flood. Um, when it, when Noah makes a sacrifice, no, well, I mean, he does, but uh, there's the prohibition against bloodshed, right? Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and he and he talks about you know, yeah, like, li- blood, like life if, and blood being connected. If being separated from God is a picture of death, mm-hmm. coming back into God's presence is true life, and the right. way that you come back into God's presence of life, the presence of life is by taking life onto yourself, and the blood of an animal is a symbol of that life. Right. And so so the first reason why you're not supposed to eat blood, why it's separate, is because life life of the body is in the blood. And then the second is what you read just now is, I have given blood to you on the altar to make atonement for your lives. And so you can kind of do like an if-then statement, like uh, if an A, if A equals B, then and and C equals A, then B equals okay. C, that kind of thing. Okay. What, what's that called? An, uh, Pythagoras' theorem? <laughs> a squared plus B squared equals oh C squared? Oh my gosh. I think what you're looking for is a syllogism. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Not Pythagorean theorem. A no. syllogism. Um, right. Like it's like uh, if if uh, Ray Charles is blind and... Uh, do you know this one? Oh, no. Okay. It's like, it's, like, it's like God is love. Yeah. Love is blind. Ray Charles is blind. Therefore, Ray Charles is God. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really bad syllogism. It's, it's a good one. I like that one. <laughs> okay, but, but here we can see if life is in the blood and blood makes atonement for life, then we can say that life makes atonement for life. Yes. Which is a really clear thing that's been happening in Leviticus, but it, it bears focusing in on here right. that... How, 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 like, how, what's happening? Why, why all this death? Why all this blood? It's because life makes atonement for life. Life pays the ransom for life. And I think it's important to see the method here so that it's actually, it's made in the temple by the sprinkling of blood and mm-hmm. not by drinking it. Right. So apparently Israelites were actually drinking blood and they needed to make a law that said, no, don't drink blood. And so as I was thinking about that, um, I think this is why it's significant because I think the act of drinking blood makes it feel like there's an assumption that there's something magic about the right. blood. Mm-hmm. That if you drink it, you take the life onto itself. But that's never been the purpose of blood. Right. The blood is a symbol for life, and you are supposed to trust that when it's sprinkled in the temple, that is enough to cover your sins. Right, right, right. It's, so it's not like Voldemort and unicorns. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Where, where Voldemort <laughs> in from Harry Potter would yeah. go and like drink the blood of unicorns to stay alive when he was like 
not totally embodied. Right, right. Yeah. The point is that you are trusting the God who's made a way for your atonement. Right. Not that you're taking the blood itself and drinking it mm-hmm. yourself. Which was a very pagan idea. It was. Yeah. And we'll see in a second that that's yeah, part but, of the... Yeah, a lot of what we're about to read about is is don't be like the pagans. Don't be like right. the Canaanites or the Egyptians, the, the people from which you've come or the people to which you're going. So this is why it's so shocking then that Jesus picks up on this language in John 6. So shocking. So like... Like, think about this for a second. Like, the prohibition against drinking blood is all over the Torah. It's continued into the history books. The prophets talk about it. And then even in Acts, it is one of the only things in the law at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 that is continued to be put on the church by the Jerusalem Council. Right. It's like, don't eat anything strangled. Why? Because the blood's still in it. Yeah. Right? And so, like, and yet Jesus comes on the scene in John 6 and says, Whoever. drink my blood. <laughs> yes. No, you can't do that. <laughs> like, it's like, no wonder. What's the, after he says it, people just leave. Right. This is a hard saying. This is a hard saying. Who can bear it? <laughs> and they're like, peace. <laughs> I'm like, right. We can't do this. Yeah. So, like, why then would Jesus say to do something that the law strictly forbids and even more this isn't animal blood we're talking about this he's saying human blood human blood right which human sacrifice we're about to see is also forbidden right and so it's like this is wrong on so many accounts jesus so why what gives him the right to say this well one i think he's being provocative intentionally he's intending to get a rise (laughs) out of his audience yeah and he's trying to trigger in them um the response of faith And so throughout John 6, Jesus has said over and over again, something along the lines of this in verse 40, for this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. And then he says, I, uh, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day for Jesus. Drinking his blood means seeing him and trusting him. So in the Old Testament in Leviticus, when it says, don't drink the blood, but there's atonement for you on the temple. Mm -hmm. It's a symbol of faith. Don't drink the blood. Have faith in the blood that God has provided for you. And he's saying, he, Jesus is using that language and he's saying, you used to drink the blood and thinking that, it's, thinking that saved you. No, it's only in drinking my blood, which is actually a symbol for faith. <laughs> Which is, does that make sense? <laughs> my, my brain hurts. Okay. <laughs> I was trying to figure out a, okay, no, a so, clean so, way to say this. Well, so what, okay, so there's one, because also in this text in, in John 6, is, this is also the passage where he says, like, people ask him, what good work must we do? And right? he says, believe in the one. Believe. Oh, yes. So faith. Okay, so it's definitely a faith passage. I get that. Right. But then also in the institution of the Lord's Supper, Jesus is saying, is literally having you pick up a cup with red liquid in it. Yeah. Put it in your mouth and swallow it. Yeah. And he says, this is my blood. And it, so it's not a metaphor in terms of like, oh, yeah, there's act, you don't actually ever drink anything. Right. You, right. Only, you do drink wine. Yeah. So I'm just like, is it only a mental ascent, trust, faith thing? Or like, was he actually also thinking about the institution of the Lord's Supper? And mm. Well, most scholars will say that John 6 is not about the Lord's Supper, but right. the Lord's Supper is about John 6. Oh. So it's the wrong way around. Because for John, John, there's no Last Supper in John 6. Right. And so most people don't think John's making a comment about the Last Supper, but the Last Supper is borrowing a lot of imagery. Anyway. That's interesting. So that's a whole different thing. Um, I don't know, honestly. Yeah. I've been trying to figure this out because it's like Jesus is literally flipping the command on its head. Yes. But not really, because he's really telling them, trust me, have faith in me. I am the one. My blood makes atonement for you. Yeah, but it's like, then wouldn't he just say like, I am the I am the goat that takes away the sins of the world. Or, right. You know, it's like why drink the why flip the command on its head? Why why go to a <gasps> oh, oh whoa uh oh epiphany? Because in the Old Testament, uh-huh. drinking the blood would be, and the blood being sprinkled in the temple uh-huh. were separated from each other. Right. Faith and drinking were separated. Yeah. Because faith would have assumed that the blood itself had some intrinsic power, and you were drinking it to your own benefit. Mm-hmm usurping the like God's covenant commands. But in Jesus, drinking his blood and having faith in him are synonymous. They're not separate from each other. There is actually true power in Jesus's blood. Oh, I see. There was no power in the blood of bulls and goats. It was only a symbol. But in Jesus Christ, it is true power. Yeah. It is actually the life that cleanses you, not symbolically, but actually. really, yeah. actually. So you, Jesus can faithfully say, 
drink my blood and I will save you. Okay, so I think that might be helpful because if what we're saying is that the prohibition against drinking blood was was given because of the reasons people drank blood back then. Yes. People drank blood because they believed there was power in animal blood. Right. And so they would drink it in order to gain the strength gain of that, animal. that strength of the animal or right. to yeah, or to appropriate like its life. Get more life for itself or something like that. Uh, but but God said, Don't ever do that. Don't trust in the the blood of any other animal. Because there's no ex- actual power in their right. in their blood. Trust my provisional life. Right. And so the reason why the prohibition against drinking blood was given was so that one day Jesus might give the allowance of drinking blood that actually has power. Right. And okay. So it goes back to our conversation yesterday how the law is not the f- is not the final expression of God's character and love. Right. But yep. a a specific like God's character and, and holiness is expressed in particular times in particular ways. Right. In Hebrews time in the time of Leviticus it was expressed in the way don't drink blood because you will drink it inappropriately. Yeah. But when Jesus comes, like, do drink my blood because this is the only way that you're saved. Yeah. Okay. I like that. So what about these commands to not kill animals anywhere else but the tabernacle? Like, yeah, yeah. What's, what's going on here? Any thoughts on that? Well, I think it goes back to the goat of Azazel thing. They mm. were trying to provide salvation for themselves, atonement for themselves outside of God's ordained means. Right. The same thing with the drinking of the blood. They're trying to gain life for themselves outside of the means that God has ordained. And so God says, no, don't do that. I have ordained the only way in which you will be atoned for, the only way in which you will be cleansed from your sin. So obey me and don't trust in your own methods and devices. Right. I think because he knew that Israel had the the propensity to follow other gods and sacrifice to other gods. And I mean, as soon as the Torah is over... We see that. Right. <laughs> it happens. What's happening right now? Yeah. 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 <laughs> they, they sacrifice to, I think, Baal of Peor is like the first one that we see. Uh, outside of outside, Leviticus. Uh-huh, outside yeah. of Leviticus that they talk about. And, um, and so it's like he was trying to say like exclusive loyalty be, belongs to Yahweh alone. He's the one God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Trust him to bring you into his presence. Right. Trust him alone. Yeah. And so uh, he's saying, like, if I could just keep you here in the tabernacle, you would have these daily reminders that uh, allegiance belongs to me alone, that right. I am the only God that needs propitiating, that, you know, all these different yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you don't need to go anywhere else. There are no other gods. Even the goat for Azazel you don't go out and like make a sacrifice to him. Like it's just yeah. sent out there. Like we talked about yeah. that in the day of atonement episode. And so um, I'm just, I'm like, I'm reminded of, you know, when Jesus kind of makes similar claims, he's talking about how exclusive loyalty belongs to him alone. He's like, you can't serve both God and mammon, you know? Yes. Um, and yes. then even Paul in his letter to the Corinthians talks about how don't join yourself with demons by eating, you know, food that's, you yes. know, for demons. Like right. don't do that. Um, and so it's like, I, I don't know what the modern equivalent of this is other than God and mammon is a little easier. God and money. Right. That, that kind of thing is a little easier. But. Well, I think, I mean, it's, it's again, these laws are an expression of God's character and holiness. Mm-hmm. And what these laws are picking up on is the same thing we've seen throughout the book of Genesis and the book of Exodus is that when left to our own devices, we would prefer to provide our own way to access God rather than God's way. Cain and Ab- a- Eve yeah. and Adam wanted the knowledge of God, so they tried to take it. Right. Cain wanted to be accepted by God, but not on God's terms, but on his own. Abraham wanted to receive the promise, but not on God's terms, on his own. Mm-hmm. And even after the Day of Atonement and forgiveness has happened for everybody, they say, we still want forgiveness, we still want life, but we want it on our terms, yeah. not God's. Right. So I think it's, just, it's the pattern of human hearts everywhere. And today, we don't really trust in sacrifices to do that, but we do trust in things like money to give us the happiness, significance, right. the forgiveness, the absolution yep. that we think that we can get. Yeah, being like, socially aware enough, being our own person enough, being me enough. Being self-aware yep, enough, yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah, that that will that will give me the feeling of absolution, completion, um, absolvement that I right. feel like I need. Right, and again, like I think those are helpful categories for us because that's what, for in the, is, in the Hebrew imagination, where did you get self-fulfillment? 
like for them, it wasn't like this idea of like ascending the ladder of like uh, Asim- not Asimov's, not, I, I, not Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's oh, like for us, right. we have this idea like Being we have self-aware. Ma- yeah. right? Like if we get to the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we are a self-fulfilled individual. Right. But for most people in the ancient world, was it was being at one with the gods and yes. being with them. So for their whole imaginative universe, the temples wrapped up there. The idea is a self-fulfillment, forgiveness, wholeness peace, righteousness, being a just person, yep. being a socially aware person. It was all wrapped up in the temple. So when they, when God is, God is providing a means for that for them, and they are saying, no, I want to do it myself. Okay, so now we get, now we come home. We kind of have bridged the gap between right. what happens when you, between the tabernacle's altar and your house, well, don't don't kill animals outside of it. Don't yeah. sacrifice animals outside yeah. of it. But then when you get home, does God really care what I do about do do that's not that has nothing to do with the, the sacrifice? You know, that has nothing to do with animals. Yeah. That's all Leviticus has been about so far. Right. And now we now we get like we turn to eighteen and we it's all about sex, one of the most huh. intimate, private, personal things that a person can do, seemingly. Right. right. That would be an art like it's like it's just sex, you know. It's like it's just between me and this other person. It's fine. It was consensual, you know. All the all this kind of stuff. Like we have these, we have a we have this view of sex in in modernity that's right. very private, very behind closed doors. Yeah. In terms of like, it doesn't. It's just. I think it's interesting. Life. In chapter seventeen, it's the first time I've noticed it in the Bible, but it could be the first time. But whenever it talks about the goat demons, mm. it says the goat demons after which you whore. Right. Which I, I don't know if that's the first time it's that like idolatry and worshiping other idols is described as whoredom. It might be the, one of the first times. And so one of the things yeah. that we need to understand is that throughout the Bible, that being unfaithful to the covenant is always described as marital infidelity. Right, adultery. As adultery. Right. Uh, as whoredom. As yes. Like, so, if you, so because these laws are an expression of God's holiness and his character and his relationship with us, if we break our husband-father's mm-hmm. uh, husband-father's um, Rules. I mean, it's not a rule when you say don't sleep with somebody else. You know what I mean? Like when yeah, you're yeah, married, yeah. it is a rule, right? But not that kind of rule. Yeah, not that kind of rule. <laughs> it's like not that kind of rule. Yeah. It's, it's, so these are an expression of God's covenant right. love. It may us. seem like a weird jump to go from don't kill animals to don't sleep with your sister, but right. it's actually talking about the same thing. It's talking about covenant faithfulness. Will you be faithful to your relationship between your God and husband Yahweh? And offer sacrifices to him alone at his house alone, or will you run after and whore after other gods? Right. Same thing happens when we turn into these rules on sexual purity: is will you remain faithful to the covenant that you make to your husband or wife, and right. or will you whore after all these other relatives that you have? Yeah. And so it's, it's just the same thing. And, and we talked and about that a lot last week. So yep. go back again and listen yeah. to that. And but that is what. Um, what, what the law constantly wants us to see is that the horizontal and the vertical are deeply integrated. Right. That what you, how you act horizontally affects what you do ver- uh, vertically and how you, and vice right. versa, you know? And so it's like, if, you, like, if you're going to have a broken relationship with God, you're going to have a broken relationship with people. If you have a broken relationship with people, it also says that you have a broken relationship with God. Yes. And so marital infidelity is a picture of religious infidelity. Yes. And so they go hand in hand. So it's not Which a is what is picked up in the very... So like the introduction to all these laws isn't actually to describe what we just described right. about marital infidelity. It's to say this. It says, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. I am. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where yep. you lived and you, not shall, you shall not do in the land of Canaan to which I'm bringing you. Right. So what he's saying is where you came from, yep. worshiped the gods, behaved in one way. Where you are going will worship gods and behave in another way. But you are a unique people, and I have a unique relationship with you. And that expresses itself in every area of your life. Not just the sacrificial system, which we've just talked about, but also in your in your the most intimate relationships in your life. There's no part of my life, your life, that is unaffected by your allegiance to me and the nation that I'm bringing you to. Right. The fact that God had brought them out of Egypt and is taking them into the promised land um, gives a distinct characteristic to this people, and it also gives God the distinct right to say who this people should and shouldn't be because he has bought them. He has ransomed them. They right. are his. And so... Um, so, so again, yeah, what you, you said there is picked up by Paul in the New Testament. He says, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. You were bought with a price. So this mm-hmm. has actually been the consistent narrative throughout Scripture that human beings are not 
their own autonomous individuals who can decide for themselves what they do with their bodies and with the bodies of others. They have been purchased with a price. They have been rescued. Therefore, your bodies are not your own. Yeah, and how interesting is that when Paul quotes that in 1 Corinthians 7, I think, Mm -hmm. he's talking about sexual fidelity. That's exactly right. And so it's the exact same message that Leviticus is trying to communicate that Paul picks up in his letter to the Corinthians. Okay, what's really important for us to see here is is what what was said at the opening of this of this new section is that they've left Egypt and they're going to Canaan and they're not supposed to be like either one of them. And so uh, I have here a list of different practices uh, by Egyptians and Canaanites that we have records of. Okay. Uh, that like survived, yeah, yeah, yeah. that have been found in archaeological digs and things like that, that show some of the things they practice that are then completely, the antithesis is, is given here. Okay. Okay, so uh, family unions, right? So um, we have Egyptian sources that show that the practice of marrying brothers and sisters, especially in royal lines, yeah. was a super common practice. Brothers okay. and sisters would get married all the time. Um, Ham- uh, the the law, of Ham- law Code of Hammurabi mm-hmm. that we talked about last week, um, it forbids some of the unions that are in here, but it also allows for several that this text forbids. Okay. Um, and then if you even look back uh, in Genesis, some of the patriarchs in Genesis committed, like infringed upon some of these laws, right? Yeah, Abram, Abram married his half-sister, right. Sarai. Which is not supposed to be done according to Leviticus. Yeah. But again, it goes back to what we said last week. Yep. God's holy character is being expressed in different ways at different points of God's history, That's covenant right. history with his people. Yep. So if that sounds blasphemous to you, go back, go and, back listen. and listen <laughs> to last week. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and then um, bestiality was practiced constantly in, oh. in Egypt, uh, in Canaan, and in, in the Hittite cultures. Uh, there was even this cult on the eastern delta of Egypt that involved women and goats cohabitating because there was a myth that Ramses II, who might have been the pharaoh during the time of the Exodus, okay. was descended from the goat god that maybe was the one to whom they were sacrificing out in the oh, wilderness. That's crazy. And so, like, women would just go live, like, live with make husbands their their husbands were goats and they would just sleep with them and cohabitate with them and like bestiality was just super common in the place from which they came i always is this is helpful for me because a lot of <laughs> i never thought goats cohabitating with women would be helpful to anyone but i think well one of the things i hear kind of a constant refrain that i hear at least being in kind of the subcultural christian west is that we are in the worst place that the world has ever been. Oh yeah. And that we're on this downward spiral and the Lord what's the how's the Lord going to use America if this is where we're headed? <laughs> sure. Right? Like have you heard that like there's this like there's this narrative that it's like we're going to hell in a handbasket. Right. And I'm like ah. it's mainly from pessimistic conservatives that I right, hear that is, from. Yeah, right. But yeah. But I hear that often enough and like I've always wanted to push back it's like I think the world's been bad from, from the, the beginning. beginning and we're actually not as bad as you th- like. I don't understand all the. We're bu- way worse than you think, but and also <laughs> like the, I don't believe in the downward spiral either. I think like I think we've always been bad. <laughs> so I just when yeah. we say things like I want, I just want to point out like we. I think the opposite myth is true though that you know since the Enlightenment we just keep getting better and better. We keep getting better and better. Yeah, that's both are false. Yes, we're far more or far worse. Yep. Than the progressive want us to make it yes. out to be, and we're far better off than some of the some of the conservative Christians right. want us to be. Yeah. I just want us to see like humanity has been depraved from the very beginning. Yes, for a long time. We've been trying to find our own way into the Garden of Eden for our entire lives, and throughout history, that quest, that yep. self saving quest, has looked very different. Right. But it's the same types of sin. Exactly. Yeah. Sin is actually very unoriginal. It is super unoriginal. <laughs> yeah. It's got one trick. Um, okay, and so um, not only did the people practice bestiality in Egypt, but even uh, some of the uh, Ugaritic texts that we have, which is like one of the closest parallels that we have for understanding the book of Psalms and some of the okay. language in it and everything like that, talks about even the gods having sex with animals. So like this was something that, well, if the gods do it, we can do it. You know, like, so there was the taboo that we have as moderners around bestiality did not really exist. Um, There was Hittite laws um, that have been found circa like 1500 BC. 1500 BC. It's a long time ago, right? It's a while ago. And they actually have legislation around how to have, how to engage in bestiality appropriately. Fascinating. And so it's like. 
Imagine if that was the Supreme Court seat. <laughs> yeah, that was that was the court case at the right. Supreme Court level. <clears throat> and so, um, and then so so we've talked. So there's there's family unions that that were right. common. Bestiality was common. Child sacrifice was common. Recently, there was an archaeological dig that took place um, near Amman, where some of this would have yeah. taken place, and they actually uncovered a a temple, a pagan temple, and all in it and around it were charred children's bones. Because they practiced child tons of child sacrifice. I mean, that is haunting, horrible, terrible, and like yeah. it's real. It happened. Yeah. Um, and so it's no wonder then that when we read through chapters 18 and on, we see these kinds of things spoken against. Right. Don't live like this because that is how, literally, that is how the Canaanites and the Egyptians lived. So it's so, and okay, okay. So what we have here then is in one sense like a moral upgrade from yep, the surrounding right. nations. Yes. We have these are a profoundly different way to live a life compared to everybody else. Right. And it also shows us that all the nations, not just Israel, had law codes like this. So it's not that it, God is particularly obsessed with our sexual lives. Right. But that all cultures everywhere have attitudes and laws concerning sex. Yep. And this is the place where God has decided to talk about it in our Bibles as That's well. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. He's not the the law is not an original idea that, that there should be laws governing the morality of culture. The we have we have tons of texts that show that there were other cultures that had similar law codes. They even were framed similarly, they sounded similarly. We talked about some of this last week. Um, the point here is not that we have something idiosyncratic in history or unique, right. I should say, in history um, in Leviticus, it's that what it says is different. It's that it, 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 it preserves a different kind of morality. Yeah, and it sets up Israel as different from right. all the surrounding cultures. Yeah. So one of the things that we should be thinking about as well, even as modern readers of the law, is that the Christian sexual ethic, sexual ethics after Christ should look different than the surrounding cultures. And sometimes that will change. We can look more or less like the culture depending on what the culture is like. Mm -hmm. But the fact is God's per, God des desires that his people be unique, a light, be um, like, a, like I think they talked about like a shining beacon on a hill. <laughs> right. Like yeah. a, sh a sexual beacon. <laughs> a sexual beacon. <laughs> but it's like there's a, there's a sense like the, the most intimate parts of our lives reflect a God in a culture that is different than the surrounding world. Right. Yeah. And and like I think this is something that the New Testament clearly picks up on. Um, it's like so. Where is it that says like so that uh, live your lives among the Gentiles in in, the, in an upright way, so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's yeah. a that's a, a yeah. slight misquote. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But the whole idea of the way we live, the way we love our neighbors, right? The way like in if you read the Sermon on the Mount. We turn the other cheek and we pray for our enemies and we do all these different things that make us look different, except this time we're not trying to look different from the Canaanites. We're trying to look different from the Pharisees a lot of right. the time in, yeah. the, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount. And the point is so that we would let our light shine before the world. It's like, and like that's in the Sermon on the Mount. Like you don't take a, a light and hide it, right? Yeah. You know, if you're, if you're salty, go out there and salt food. Don't don't become and it's don't taken, taste like everyone else. That's right. Taste that's different. Exactly right. Yeah, and so it's just really interesting to think about that. This is a this is a very New Testament thing. Um, and when Jesus came, he lived a very different life from the life of right. like the way he followed the law in a very different way than the people of his time were following the law, and yeah. um, and it, it led to his death, which is ironic because the pun the punishment for so many of these breaking these laws is death is death so let's talk about let's talk about that real okay. quick yeah so like why then so it's mentioned here that uh and then in a section following in chapter 20 that the punishment for a lot of these is death we wouldn't say that the punishment for these sins is death now why yeah and why is that so why if we're gonna if we're gonna be consistent and say that this is an expression of the eternal character of god right why are we seeing a change in the punishment for these things. A change from then to now, you mean? Yeah. Oh, I see. Um, well, one, I don't think there is a change. Okay. Um, we, we see clearly in the New Testament that the wages of sin is? Death. Death. So there is not, there's not a change. You, right. You sin, you die. And so in, in the old, t in, in, in the covenant Israel with the law, what we see is a real life 
played out in real time on a real historical stage what the grand narrative of of eternity will be. Right. We get to see that God is wanting a distinct people to live a distinct way, and if they don't, there is death waiting for them. But they can escape that death by putting their faith in the atonement that, that is made for them. Like, all of this sounds very old and even pagan and right. strange, but this is the Christian story. Yeah. That God is saving for himself a unique people, a holy people set apart from the rest of the world, and um, they're saved from death because they have sinned, and there is death, life, blood that has to be paid. Right. And and But they, they escape that death and join the new covenant community by putting their faith in the atonement. Right. The blood on the altar. It's the exact same story. And So, so we talked about yeah. last time, too. Like, it's not... So what you're saying is the curses, the curse of death... Yep. The punishment of death related to these things isn't actually downplayed in the Old New Testament. It's ratcheted up. Right. The death that you'll experience for being sexually immoral is eternal death. Right. Eternal separation from the Lord. And so think about this then. I think too, um, that means that God's grace is ratcheted up. Yes, in it the has New to Testament be. Right. Because you will not die immediately for your sexual sin. So right now, as you're listening, if you are not a Christian or if you are currently engaging in some of the acts described here, you can feel like a condemnation from people like us speaking so matter-of-factly about sexual sin. Right. And like it deserves death. But think about this. The punishment for you is not death yet. Mm. You have time. Yeah. Do not use God's mercy as an excuse to continue in your sin, but use God's mercy as a time to repent. Right. The Lord is waiting for you, invites you. He says, you have your whole life to make this decision. So make it now mm. and avoid the consequences that are coming. You could have lived in Israel and they could, you could have been found out. Somebody saw you on Instagram or your, uh, your, yeah. your, your, your sex got leaked somewhere and right. you could have been killed right then. Yep. But the Lord has placed you in a time where you have time to come to him and repent and the kingdom of God can be yours. What does Paul say? Such were some of you. Mm. Sexually immoral people, such were some of you. But now, by God's grace, you've not taken advantage of his mercy, but come to him because you love him and trust him to make atonement for you. Okay, chapter 19 yep. is... Oh, uh, hold on. What? I'm so sorry. Before what? you get into this, I don't... I, I, I Just quick note about the sexual laws from yeah, the last yeah, yeah. chapter. Um one of the reasons why, um, oh, what's it called? I, I already forgot. When you have sex with someone in your family. Incest? Incest. Sorry, <laughs> I could not think of the word. It's a word I don't really want to think of very often. But the reason why incest is, is needing to be talked about here in chapter, uh, in chapter 18 right. is because um, like, only getting married to your relatives, in a sense, right. is assumed in this culture. Because, oh, yes, yes, because yes, yes. this is God's chosen people, and you're only yeah. supposed to marry other Israelites. You're not supposed to marry Canaanites. You know, you're supposed to marry Israelites. And he, and then in Deuteronomy, that it's limits even told, the dating pool. It does. And then in Deuteronomy, <laughs> it's even told that you know if you can try to stay married in your own tribe, right? Out of the twelve tribes, only marry your own tribe. So it's like, okay, so where's the line? Like, yeah, how yeah, close yeah. can my relative be? And Leviticus shows us because God is preserving a people. So like right. th- another cultural another, moment. Right. Okay. I just thought, anyway. Okay. Chapter 19. Chapter 19. In my Bible, it's uh, labeled the Lord is holy. In David's Bible, it's... Uh, no, it's not my Bible. It was the uh, the commentary I the read. The commentary is like... How to be neighborly. How, how to be neighborly. And what's fu- funny about this is... It's both. <laughs> it's both. Because it's set up in sections of 21. Sections of 21. Se- 21 laws. There's 21 laws. There's 21 laws okay. per section. And in that 21 laws, uh-huh. we're told that I am the... That God is the Lord uh-huh. seven times. Okay. And there are three laws for each time the Lord says, I am the Lord. Okay. So I, it says, I am the Lord. Lord. Three laws. Three laws. I am the Lord. Three, three laws. laws. I am the Lord. Three laws. And it more does it seven times. It says it uh, seven times. So Okay. So that's how you get 21 laws. That's how you seven 21. times three, 21. Yeah. And okay. does that twice in uh, chapter, chapter 19. Okay. So is that just like cool literature thing or what's it's, the point? It's The point is that... The whole law can be summed up in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I am the Lord. And love your neighbor as yourself. Do this to your neighbor. Right. So it's kind of like an encapsulation of the entire law. And it also points us to the fact that these are expressions of God's character. I am the Lord. 
That means your relationship with other people should look like this. I am mm. the Lord, therefore don't lie. I am the Lord and I am truthful, therefore, you know, like, Right. I'll just use that example. Okay, so like, because constantly in... It also goes back to the creation. It also, it's like, there's also it's sevens. Sev- oh. Like, it's like, it's a thing. In, it's a, it's a the, thing. It's a thing in if the Bible. If you don't know about it, seven's like a thing. Seven's like a thing. <laughs> World was made in seven days. There's rest. Every seven years, you're supposed to So does to like living this way, following Dan these Atonos rules... the seventh month. Do, do like, does following these rules then mean like you are living in the correct order of creation? Like yeah. God has ordered the world in a certain way... And obeying these laws is the way that you live within that order. Yes. This okay. is like, it's That's a cool. picture of what new creation looks like. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like okay. If you were to live in new creation, it would be these laws played out perfectly. There would not be any uh, lying. People would respect their parents. There right. would be regular patterns of rest. You would be able, it's like there's like gleaning laws. So like the, the most dispossessed and the least able are able to reap and eat by their efforts. Like right. everyone's able to participate in this new right. creation. Okay, so let's let, I want to dive into something because it, it like it's it's said here in our passage in Leviticus and then 1 Peter, Peter picks it up in 1 Peter is this whole idea to like be holy because I am holy. Yes. Right? Uh like I want you to be holy because I Jesus said it in the Sermon on the Mount, yep. uh, be perfect because your heavenly Father is perfect. And so like why like I this is not really how I think about morality especially growing up i think i think about more more this way now but i had to be trained to think about it this way i think my default position in morality is either maybe like do these things because they're the right things or do these things because god said so or do these things or else you'll get punished yeah but what the 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 reason why the motive for doing these things in leviticus is. is because you can be like god yes and like that kind this of is, breaks me a little bit. Yeah, this is who God is. <laughs> yeah. If you want to be like God, do what he says. Right. That's like, and the goal here isn't to be a good virtuous citizen and it's for its own sake. Right. It's to be a good citizen of the Lord. Yeah. It's to look like him in the world. Which is like, that was the original temptation of the garden, right? Like if you yes. eat this tree and you know good and evil, I mean, that's what the law is doing. It's helping us understand right. what good and evil is. If you eat this tree, you'll know good and evil and then you'll be like God. Right. And God says, no, <laughs> you can be like God my way or no way. Right. And that's the whole tension of the entire Bible. Like we want to be like God on our own terms. Yeah. We want to be autonomous, powerful, self-realized individuals by ourselves. We yep. want to be gods on our own terms. But the Lord comes in the law, in the Torah, in the entire Bible and says, no, the way that you become like God is this way. Okay, so I can't help but just want to run to a gospel truth. Okay. Because as soon as I start thinking about this, I start getting depressed because I... Because you're a liar. You're I'm a, a, yes! You're a stealer. Exactly. You are, you're an idol man. <laughs> yeah, I'm an idol man. I'm an idol man. <laughs> you're an idol man. <laughs> yeah, I didn't build a parapet on my roof. You know, I never go on my roof, but, you know, I could easily fall off of it. No, uh, but anyway, the reason why I get you depressed... You don't respect the deaf. I definitely... Wait, <laughs> oh, what, I feel like I do. That's 1914. But uh, anyway, uh, like, I'm just like, I... I can't be perfect as Jesus is perfect. Like when I read the Sermon on the Mount, you know, it's like, uh, I don't really love my enemies well. Right. So am I, is he going to say, I never knew you, get away from me? You know, like at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, I'm not holy as God is holy. I'm not perfect as Jesus was perfect. I don't obey the law the right way. If, if obeying the law is how I become like God, I'm never going to be like God. Yeah. And, and so I just can't help but just want to run to a gospel truth. Well, and it's, it's here for us. In the, it's uh, it's already here for us. The is gospel it? truth is here in Leviticus Okay, for read us. it to me. I need it. You shall just have, you should have, you should have just balances, just weights. You should be a, a just person. Yeah. Because I am the Lord your God who already brought you out of the land of Egypt. So this is not, these are not commands for people trying to be saved. Right. These are commands for people that God has already chosen to be like him, mm. who's given the ability to be like him. Well, Israel, we'll find out, was not given that ability. That's right. Deuteronomy, they hard hearts. Deuteronomy will yep. pick up on the fact that they actually did not have a new heart yep. to do these laws. Right. But we do. Yes. The good news is that we have already been saved just like Israel was. Mm-hmm. And the better news is that we have a heart that's able to obey God's commands. Right. Well, and I just can't, and I think even more, it's like you read like Ephesians 1 and some other places where it's like, we've been made holy. Mm-hmm. Be holy as I am holy. Right. You, done. You why, did it. Like, yeah, why do I need to do more? Yeah. I, I did it. Like, 
because Jesus did it for me. He yeah. made me spotless and blameless and holy. Like he actually did that through his death and resurrection, through his Holy Spirit coming and making me his tabernacle. You know, it's like the holy of holies. Right. You know, it's so is your question, if I, if God has made me holy, why do I need to pursue more holiness? No, no, no. That's not my question at all. I'm oh. like, I didn't have a question. Oh. I, was like, I just needed gospel truth to right. come and be like, I can't uphold all this law. Like, right. you know. One but, of the things yeah. that the law does is sh- show us that our inability. Are, our inability. And so what do we need? We need to hear the truth that God has made us holy. Right. And then we get to switch and say, okay, what's the other purpose of the law? To make me a just person, yeah. to make me like God. Right. And so I know that whenever I fail, there is an advocate for me, yep. Jesus Christ, the righteous, right. John 1. Like that's what it happens. Like we can be, we can feel free to fail as Christians because we know that our salvation and our holiness has actually been purchased by God for us. Right. But that truth, like you, I think what you're trying to say is that truth moves us and compels us to live differently, to be the light on the hill, to be the yeah. salt of the earth, to love our enemies, right? right? Yeah. Because like just as Israel was saved from Egypt and that was the basis of God's commands for them to live right. differently, we've been saved by an even greater grace yeah. in Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah, unlike, so like Christians actually read the law differently mm-hmm. than Old Testament Jewish people did. Because whenever a Jewish person would read the law, the only thing they could get out of it was essentially condemnation. They could only ever feel condemned by it and always feel the the weight of failing under it. Is that true? I mean, they, I, I think about Psalm 119. Yes. And I'm like, your law is beautiful. It's better. It's true. more than uh, more to be desired than gold. It's sweeter than honey. And it's like, I just don't, I feel like that might be a caricature of it Old might, Testament Jews. It might be. And I don't, I don't mean that pejoratively. What I mean is that the law doesn't have the ability to save and it doesn't have the ability to create in it the heart to be able to consistently do the right thing. Does that make sense? Maybe I'm, Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I, I, I just think that might, that might not be, it might be begging the question. That might not be what we're trying to get at here is it's not that the, that um, salvation was ineffective, but like, I think what was supposed to happen was you were, you were supposed to look at the law, realize that you had broken it. Right. right? And then you read the Psalms and you see Dave, David repenting and saying like, oh, I've broken your law. I've not kept it, but I love it. So therefore, don't remember my sins. Forgive me, right? Don't let your spirit depart from me. He prays all these things in the mm-hmm. Psalms. And I think that's what Paul picks up on when he explains what the law was. It was our tutor. It was our guide. And it made us long for something, some kind of salvation outside of ourselves. And so I don't think it was necessarily like just uh, just a vehicle, vehicle for condemnation. It was a vehicle for grace. And it was supposed to be this thing that said, I can't uphold it, but I want to. It's so good and I want to obey right. it. I fall short. So... I don't give up on obeying the law and I don't give up on grace and just go full legalistic. I, the, the, the true, like pure version of the law was supposed to be this thing that said like, you can't do this, but I still am gracious to you. Right. And that's because that's good because people who the old Testament Jews will be in heaven. Yes. Those who trusted in God to save them. Right. Will be in heaven. Yeah. Let's talk about this. Yeah. Okay. So because one of my, <laughs> I'm gonna go weird for a second. So you, oh, you like Thirty Rock too? Yeah, yeah. So one of my favorite parts of Thirty Rock is Kenneth Parcell. TV show it's that a, it's most a, people yeah. don't know about. Yeah, but continue. It was on NBC, and uh, there's this goofy guy named Kenneth Parcell in it, and he's an NBC page, and he plays this like backwoods redneck who has is overly convicted about his religious Christian beliefs, which is like cultish. The more yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like he's like he's like a part of like a deep Christian cult, and he like. He sings this song randomly, and it's like, oh, everyone who lived before Jesus is in hell, they went straight <laughs> to hell, and then he gets cut off. But it's like, that's what, like, I've actually heard right. non-Christians, like, be like, so everyone before Jesus is just in hell? It's no. Like, no. In fact, like, the New Testament talks about this. And so what we're saying is, like, Old Testament Jews who put their faith in the sacrificial system, who understood that they couldn't fulfill the law and they cried out for grace, who were who was longing for the Messiah to come back and be the promised seed of Eve to do everything that it promised it would do. Like they were saved the exact same way we're saved, right? right? They looked forward to a future Messiah that they did not know about. We look backwards to a Messiah that we do know about who has come and by both of us reaching backwards or forwards, placing our faith on Jesus, we're saved. That's Not right. because we uphold the law a certain way, but because we put our faith in Jesus. And so we're all saved by faith. 
because of grace. Yes. Like that's that's the whole way it works. Yes. And so like the sacrificial system here in Leviticus was supposed to make them realize that they needed salvation, that they needed atonement. And them putting their faith in this atonement, not in sacrificing to goat demons or anything like that, but saying Yahweh will save me like through his mercy. Yeah. And like putting their faith in that, that's how they were saved, not by upholding these laws. So that's good. Okay. We've gospel truthed it. Got it. We've got, so like how do we read the laws well? Yeah. So when it says, keep the Sabbath, don't offer offerings, be just, be righteous, um, respect the deaf, respect the blind, respect God, be fair. Like how do we read those well as Christians knowing all that? Right. What should our response be to these commands? Yeah. I think we talked a little bit about this last week and we talked about it when we did the, the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, mm-hmm. but each command of God shows us something about God. Right. And so we should be asking the question, who is God based on these commands? Well, let's pause right there. Before we get there, why don't we just say, just do it. Just just obey them. Just obey them. These are good laws. Right. It's good to respect people. Right. It's good to respect the Lord. It's good to be just. Right. Why shouldn't our first thing we say, like, do it? I think because when we read the New Testament, we see that now I'm allowed to drink Jesus' blood. Okay. Right? Uh, And now don't call anything that I've made unclean. I can eat pigs. So what you're saying is that for us to truly receive the wisdom the Torah has for us, and that's what one thing we haven't talked about. This is wisdom. This is wisdom literature. Wisdom, wisdom literature. Meditative wisdom literature. So when, when David in Psalm 1 says, the words of your Lord are life to me, he's mm-hmm. talking about these laws in Leviticus. Yep. And so more than likely what you're saying he did and what we should do as Christians is when you see a law, we should say, like, okay, I want to obey that law, yep. and I want to obey it so well that I'm not just going to obey it. Right. I'm going to think about the God who commanded it and then obey it from my heart. Right. That's what you're saying. Yeah. It's not just a rule book that you have to follow, and if you follow them well, then you're a good Christian, you know, or a good Jew for that matter. Yeah. It's like really what God is wanting you to do is reflect on who he is and what his intention is for the world and what he's making through us as his new covenant people. Like he wants us to see a glimpse of new creation. Like that's why this is all built in this literary style. Right. It's because this isn't a this isn't law. This is theology that's happening. Like God is not trying to tell us necessarily exactly how to live. He's trying to tell us who he is. And then based on who he is, we find out who we are supposed to be. Yeah. But, which is why you have this constant back and forth. I am the Lord your God. Love me. Right. Now act this way. I am the Lord your God. Love me. Act this way. Because he's trying to show us who he is. And when we get a glimpse of who he is, that's when we become who we're supposed to be. Which the New Testament picks up on. In 1 John 3, 2, we're told that when we see Jesus when he returns, we will become like him. And so like, that's the whole story of the Bible is look at God and you'll become like him. So in a lot of ways, what you're saying too, is that the law is the minimum standard for holiness. So when it says here, so like, right, it's like not lying is good. Yes. Right. Do not lie. Right. (laughs) Don't do that. But be a truth teller. Yes. Be like God. Be consistent in everything that you say. And I was even looking at uh, 1913, like be swift to pay your employees. Oh, right. Like, yeah. It's like, okay, that's that's the minimum standard for the care of your employees. Right. But I, I worked at Starbucks for a long time. And I thought they so well embodied what it means to be, like, they're not a Christian corporation, nope. but I thought they did such a good job of embodying this text by paying health insurance benefits for part-time people, being generous with their compensation packages, making sure that we had vacation days, giving us free pounds of coffee. They did this command better than a lot of Christians do. Yeah, right. Because, and they're not doing this, but what we should be doing as Christians when we see something like that, if you're a Christian business owner, is say, okay, how can I embody not just the command, but the God who cares about employees? Right. And this is important because not only because we're not just trying to obey a command, we're trying to be like God. Right. That's a big part of it. The other part is, and that's actually the bigger part of it. I should right. say the smaller part of it is what we talked about last week, which is these are not all the things that God wants people to do. Right. The, the, the Old Testament law, or the whole Bible for that matter, is not an exhaustive list of rules that God wants us to follow. There are things which is that why this, God wants of us that just aren't recorded. This is why it's structured in sevens. That's right. Sets of seven. Why? Because to give you a picture, a snapshot, it's a snapshot yeah. of the new creation, right. not the fullness of it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so like, we have to know that if he says don't lie... 
he also means be a truth teller. Like there are so many implications right. around not being a liar. And then we're don't to- fudge the truth. Don't stretch the truth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't, yeah, 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 yeah. Don't yeah. exaggerate your stories. Right. Tell them the real size of the fish that you caught. Like you know, like <laughs> yes, yeah. So I think it's great. Um, I mean, how do you if so if 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 someone's listening to this podcast first and then they're like, okay, fine, I'll I'll give Leviticus seventeen and on a go, right? And I'll try to read me some law code. Yeah. What would you hope that they would be thinking while they're reading it, and what do you hope that they would like feel when they walk away from it? I would hope. Here's here's the the hope that something that I might never do, but I probably should. Okay. And I think it would be really beneficial. If this is wisdom literature, if this is a distillation and an application of the character of God for a particular people at a particular time, it has something to tell us about God. So we talked about this off the air last time, but I would love it if people did what David did or all the kings were commanded to do in Deuteronomy oh, right. yep. and to keep their own copy of the law. And what that meant was they literally wrote it out by hand. But I can also imagine that while they were doing that, they were meditating on each law, thinking about the type of God who would command such a thing, and then thinking about other things that might mean. So what we just did, not lying means being a truth teller. What would it mean to be like a truth telling God? If God would make me as truthful as I could possibly be, how mm. would that change my life? Right. What would I be like? How would my interactions be different? How much more candid would I be? Like, yeah. Like. Yeah. I mean, like, do is the is the is me putting on a fake smile a lie? Right. Yeah. And maybe it's not. Right. But, but meditate may, on it. But meditate on it. Yeah. Think about it. So if I was going to tell somebody to spend time in the law, I was like, okay, don't read it all. Oh, right. Read one. Yeah. And then spend 10 minutes, five minutes. Meditating on it. Meditating on it. And then let that be enough for the day. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's a long book. Yeah. And if you get discouraged, I would would say, like, go just just throw your finger down anywhere in Psalm 119 and be like, because every single verse talks about the law and how David loves the law. And so, like, just, like, if you get discouraged, like, the law is beautiful. Like, it is more to be desired than a bank account full of money. Like... Yeah. Reading one law and meditating on it and getting to see the character of God and who he wants to make you to be is better than a steak dinner. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I believe that yet, right. but I want to. Like, yeah. I want to desire the law like David did. And so, like, I would, I would, I would say, yeah, like, learn to love the law. And, um, like, it's, it's, in, it's, it's not in your Bible to be a stumbling block. So let's do that it's right like, now. Let's oh, do okay. it for our listeners. How sure. much time do we have left? Five minutes? Yeah, like about five minutes. Yeah. So let's not go to child sacrifices. Okay. Nobody wants to do that. We'll do that next week. Okay, <laughs> we'll great. Do that next week. Let's just take a law. I'm going to put my finger. Oh, okay. You're going to do what do we just it. said for one minute. we just said. Okay. What do we got? You shall not eat any flesh with blood. We've already done that one. Oh, we did it. <laughs> done. <laughs> do it again. Okay. I put, you shall not hate your brother in your heart but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor lest you incur sin because of him. So reason okay. frankly with your neighbor and not hate your brother in his heart. I think brother is neighbor. Neighbor yep. and brother mm-hmm. are synonymous. Yep. So don't hate your neighbor and reason frankly with him. Okay. Which are two, this was a really interesting one because it actually goes beyond mere like obedience. Yep. It's actually a disposition towards him. Right. Yeah. Love your brother in your heart. And reason yeah. with him well. So, uh, oh, because it actually says, "Don't hate your brother in your heart," right? Yeah, don't hate your brother. In right. Your... Which Jesus picks up on this. He you does. Know, he says, like, you know, you, you know, it says, "Don't murder," but I say, "Don't even hate your brother in your heart." Which like, is, it, he's quoting here. He's quoting here. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, I mean, if I was to think about, I'm like, man, I don't hate. I'm just gonna think about my actual neighbors. Right. 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 And I'm like, I don't hate my neighbors. Like. But I don't really know my neighbors very well. Yeah. How about the opposite? Do you love your neighbors? Yeah, I don't think I... I definitely don't love... If I do, I'm the worst person that you'd want to have love you. <laughs> I'm the type of... I'm the guy who loves you by never talking by to never you. By never talking to you. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm like, okay, I... I yeah, I don't really love my neighbors. Um, I definitely don't love my neighbors. Uh, does that mean I hate them? I don't actively hate them, but... I, I mean, think, well, think if they're so, lost and I'm not giving them Jesus or inviting think, them into my home. I think there's one sense like everybody's your neighbor and you could always be increasing Definitely. your yeah, circle yeah, yeah. of neighbors. But right. think about people that you actually interact with in a given day. Okay. What does it mean to not resent people that yeah. you actually interact with? And I right. think that's... Because I think what he's talking about here is probably like you've got a conflict with someone. Right. Like reason with them. Don't just hate them. Yeah, because I can think about all the sorts of conflicts at work where it's been like, yep. oh, I... So they said something that was 
put me off. And so I'm, but I'm not going to confront them about it. I'm just going to stew. I'm just going to stew. Yep. So there's been times where I've just thought and thought and thought. Oh my gosh, and even like you go and talk that. to other people about it and you're like, can you believe they did this? Or even on a, on a softer side, like, man, can I process this with you? Like, right. So-and-so did this. Did and I really hear really that difficult. right? Did I hear that right? It's like, just go reason with them. Just yeah. go talk to your neighbor. Hey, you said this and it hurt my feelings. Can right. we talk about that? Yeah. And like, let's think about what this tells us about who God is, right? Because yeah. let's not just jump straight to application. We really right, right. need to start yeah, with... Yeah, we missed, we, we we missed, did. We we missed we, our own step. See, we, we, we mess it up. But again, yeah. this yeah. is all part of the process. It is. Yeah, yeah. And so like, what does it say about God? I mean, the cool thing is like, God has, one, decided not to hate us in his heart. Mm. Like, even though we stirred up his wrath over and over and over. And he, his is good wrath. Like, it's always correct. He's right to be angry. And you I know, think like, there's that, there's that, like be his... angry and don't sin. I yeah. think is, is that in this passage? Oh, Jesus says it. Jesus said, but I think it's also like, anyway, well, I, I was think even it's, thinking yeah. like God's like, God has an honest opinion about our sin. Yeah. And he doesn't hide it from us. That's right. Like, he, you know what I mean? It's like, he doesn't, he doesn't soft pedal the fact that he doesn't like our sin. Yeah. That, and like, yeah. he's very, he has, he has reasoned frankly with he's us. He has reasoned very frankly with us. And he's like, the wages of sin is death. Oh. Uh, but he's also said, but I'm not going to hold it against you. I've given you, I, I have loved you so much that I'm not just going to harbor it in, in my heart, nor am I going to just come out and just lash out against you. Instead, I hmm. am going to take the punishment of sin upon myself. I'm going to be a really good and neighbor. <laughs> like, what's he, well, now he's just going to be a really good neighbor. He becomes a good neighbor. Yeah, because he, he moves into the neighborhood. He becomes our brother. <laughs> yeah. Because of Jesus' death, we have a brother in Jesus. Yeah. So I, I was thinking about like, man... God's love for us and his reason, God's love and his frank reasoning with us actually led him to become our brother. Mm-hmm. So like we are supposed to reason frankly with our brothers. Right. But that's because God became our brother right. after reason frank, reasoning frankly with us, your sin is de- means death. Right. And said the only way that I can do that is by loving you even to po- the point of death. Yeah. Death on a cross. And then I also started thinking about him reasoning frankly with us. And I started thinking about all the prophets. Oh, yeah. And like, including this. Like he is talking to his people reasoning with them, trying to set up a system in which they could function in a healthy relationship. Let me give you a living parable by marrying this adulterous woman. Hosea. Like, like, yeah, right? it's like, yep. let me just like, every possible way that yeah. I can communicate to you He tried and tried and tried and tried to reason with us, frankly. Uh, oh, oh, think about constantly in the prophets, what is the opening line of his calls to, God's calls to repentance? Come, let us reason together. Isaiah 1. Oh, let us reason together. God is trying to be a reasonable brother. <laughs> He's like, come, let's reason together. Your sins are like scarlet, but they could be as white as snow. Just repent. And he's like, let's just be neighborly. Or when Paul goes into all the un, unreached cities, yep. he says, I went into the hall of Tyrannus and, and I, reasoned I reasoned daily. With them. Yeah, yeah. I, I went in, I opened scripture and I tried to reason with them. Always be willing to give a reason for your faith. Right. That's cool. Oh. See, you could just keep unpacking it is right. the point. It, and like, it becomes more beautiful to you the more you do it. And uh, oh, I love it. It's so cool. So if we're going to commend something to you, find a friend. Yep. You don't need a podcast mic in front of you. But <laughs> do this right. with each of the laws. Yeah. Slowly. Do one at a time. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. And so uh, anyway, well, there's some some laws in Leviticus. There you go. <laughs> there you go. It, it was good. I think this is this is helping me love, love Leviticus more. Love it's helping me understand more. why David could be... To, could gush could gush in oh. Psalm 119 because yeah I, maybe that's the reason maybe I don't just need to be like man I really wish I loved my law more I just need to like practice, practice loving loving it, it. Yeah. yeah and we actually have a really good example of this yeah a friend of ours friend of the show named Brady E Brady E Brady E from well, Oklahoma City from Oklahoma City <laughs> uh, was meditating on the story of Judah and Tamar right. in the book of Genesis mm-hmm. so if you remember David yeah yeah we I think this was our first Joseph podcast we did. And we talked about the story of Judah and Tamar. Uh, God hated Judah's first two sons so much. They were so sinful that they just dropped dead, yeah. which left Tamar uh, completely widowed. Widowed. And, um, but also the one who was supposed to bear the promised seed. Right. So we're like, oh, no, what's going to happen in the promised seed? Well, there was a younger son of Judah that he was supposed to give to Tamar, but he didn't. So Judah was unfaithful. So Tamar tricks Judah into sleeping with her by posing as a cult prostitute. And she gets pregnant. And because she was pregnant and didn't have Out a husband, wedlock, she was going to get burned at the stake. She was going to get burned at the stake. And she appeals by holding up some of Judah's personal artifacts and saying, he's the husband. And Judah's like, no, it's true. I totally did have sex with her. 
And he's she like, she's more righteous than I am because she was willing to do whatever it took to preserve it's a crazy the, the story. Line. It's a crazy story. <laughs> you can go back and listen to yeah. it. And so anyway, Brady was meditating on it and uh, had this amazing gospel turn. And so he left me a voicemail. And so we're going to share it with you. And if you want to do the same thing, if, if please yeah, do if, so, we want to see can, how everybody's yeah, seen you can Jesus film, in all you scripture. Can, you can film yourself. You can give us a voice recording. You can write in, uh, you can send it to um, info at spoken gospel.com. And uh, we'd love to feature it on the air. So anyway, here's our friend Brady talking about how he saw Jesus in the story of Judah and Tamar. As you guys were talking about it, I realized that such that's basically it's a broken pre-telling, if you will, of the gospel. Um, in that Tamar is literally a prostitute bride, which is which is us, and she uh, the only thing you know she's she's standing there broken and going to be burned at the stake um, because she was unfaithful to the son that the father would not give her. Judah ends up saying, you know, you're, she's more righteous than I, and because he is, he's an, an, an imperfect father who did not give his son to the prostitute bride um, to, to save her, basically, to, 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 to uh, metaphorically let her live forever through her, you know, through her offspring. So she's the, the unfaithful prostitute bride who uh, is is going to be cut off because the son did not come, uh, the father did not give the son to her to to save her from you know from from being cut off, um, and then she stands judged and is guilty and um, ends up having to point out to the father, you should have given me your son. That's what that's what would have saved me, and so it's 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 this broken version of the gospel. Whereas it's fulfilled through God the Father and Jesus the Son, when we the not, uh, the the prostitute bride not only are unfaithful but are enemies of of God the Father and of, of Jesus the Son, and yet the Father still gives um, the Son to the prostitute bride to save her and let her live forever. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to creating free gospel-centered media that speaks the gospel out of every corner of scripture. So to join us in our mission and view our resources, we invite you to visit SpokenGospel.com. Gospel.com.